Live from D1 Abilene, it's Docs and Jocks, brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, coming to you live from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. If you're just catching our sports medicine show for the very first time, want to find out more about it, man, we'd love to have you do that by going to our website, docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. You can also follow our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, anytime. Catch your show at your leisure at your time, at your uh, given time, anytime, and that is at Docs and Jocks, your iTunes podcast. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our wonderful uh, sponsors, including uh, Marriott Hotels as well as uh, Joe Walker State Farm. Also want to say, uh, introduce myself. My name is Dr. Dan. I'm a sports medicine physician. Been doing the sports medicine gig for the last 20-plus years with Texas Sport and Spine. My co-host each week is the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster, Ferris Potter. Ferris, got a great show lined up for today. I'm excited. This is an historic, historic <laughs> show. Yeah. First show under the President Donald Trump reign. Oh, I just thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to say because you and I are actually in the, being able to do the show together uh, when you're not traveling somewhere. Ferris travels being a sports broadcaster nearly weekly, and I seem like I've been traveling with my son doing the baseball thing, so he and I have been doing it as we can, hit or miss, so it's great that the two of us have two hours in our day to share with our fans, our sports medicine fans, an entire show. We're in the same location, man. Pretty cool. Yeah, and I talked to the president, and he said, your show's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. <laughs> huge. Absolutely, yeah. The Donald Trump inauguration day just happened. So, hey, uh, I want to tell you about some of our guests we got coming up on the show today. You're going to be very excited to hear. Uh, if you listen to our show a few weeks ago, we had Coach Mike Evans, and Coach Evans has been a 30-plus college baseball coach uh, tenure, and he is – uh, won over 800% of his games. We're also going to have on, uh, coming up later in the show, Max Bowman. Coach Bowman was a football coach. Ferris, get this. He uh, recruited Doug Flutie to Boston College. He then becomes a football coach for the Buffalo Bills. And recruits Doug Flutie back to the Buffalo Bills from the CFL where he was playing. So going to be a lot of fun talking to him. They're getting ready to make a movie about his life. He did a took a sh- uh, team called Greenville College, a small Division II college. Really had uh, never had football in their program is 100 plus years uh, a lapse in football he brings them back his very first year he goes something like eight and one he takes 79 freshmen and goes eight and one and takes them to a national playoff so coach max bowman's gonna be wow. coming on talking about that yeah gonna be a great interview with him looking forward to it and then we have on brian wilhite brian is the founder and ceo of score sports which is a uh, social media and technology platform that allows sports exclusively uh athletes teams, fans, to exclusively talk to each other. It's kind of like a LinkedIn for sports fans. We'll be talking to him about that and how social media is really playing a part in the sports medicine world these days. You won't want to miss what's going on on our entire show here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us. Remember, you can listen to us on iTunes as well at Docs and Jocks. You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. 
no one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from the Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, Ferris, uh, Potter is my uh, co-host, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, we're very excited about this week's show. Got some great guests coming up later on in the show. But I do want to say thank you to our sponsors, including Sports Clips and Buffalo Wild Wings, who brings you this segment here on Docs and Jocks. Ferris, I thought we'd just jump right into some of the big news. Uh, man, this this week, obviously, this time of the year is dominated by the NFL. they got the playoffs going. Man, we're in a little bit of mourning. Our show is uh, centered out of uh, coming to oh. you from West Texas, and so we're in big uh, – That's tough. I know we're in Dallas Cowboy territory here. We just had uh, the great Doug Free on. We had Patrick Creighton on uh, two weeks ago. So uh, we are Dallas Cowboy country for sure, football heavy in West Texas. And, uh, man, to lose – the way the Cowboys lost was just disheartening, man. 34-31 is a great game. Got to say it's a great game. Yeah. And uh, good parts about it. Man, with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and looking like they were looking with that offensive line, you just didn't expect Aaron Rodgers, who was Jordy Nelsonless, to come in and do what he did. But he did his thing, and he did it well, and uh, Cowboys went down to defeat. A couple of sad calls there, bad calls that cost us the game in uh, Dallas Cowboy uh, lore, but it'll go down the one with the uh, 12 men in the huddle. The NFL has come back out and said they apologize it was the wrong call, and then also the uh, choke out and take down on the last play on the Aaron Rodgers uh, scramble to the left that's uh, become infamous here in Texas. Uh, those are the two plays, but you know you can't can't obviously the game doesn't come down to just two plays. But what did you think about that overall, Ferris? I thought Aaron Rodgers uh, proved that he is a, a potential MVP candidate, and I think he uh, if he goes on after a what was his start four and. Were they four and six to start, and they came back and made the playoffs? Something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, won like nine in a row. Yeah. What, what, what do you, where do you think Aaron Rodgers goes down, His uh, looking at his legacy now, 15 years down the road, what do they think they say about Aaron Rodgers if he goes on and wins this thing? You know, I'm not sure about the legacy. I mean, he's going to be up there in the in the talks of one of the top quarterbacks uh, of, of ever. Um, um, but I just think, like like, watching that game, the first two drives when he just marched right down, I was like, there's no way they're going to win this game. Like he's, he's just playing at a level that is so high. I've never seen a quarterback do that. Cause Dallas had the better team by far. Yeah. Dallas had everything better. And it's just all Aaron Rodgers. I've never seen a quarterback carry a team almost single-handedly like that and make average guys, great guys. I've never seen it. And he's yeah. just so locked in. Look, Atlanta's a much better team than Green Bay, but it would not shock me if Aaron Rodgers didn't beat those guys too, you know? Yeah. So I don't think I don't think Dallas should should hang their head at all. It kind of reminds me in some ways of those Cleveland Cavaliers teams that were the second best team in the league, but they just always ran into Michael Jordan. They were a better team than the <laughs> right, Bulls. Right. Jordan just beat them every year. I know, you crazy. Know? When I was watching the game and uh, I think there was 38 seconds left when the Cowboys kicked their 50 plus yarder field goal to tie it up and People I was sitting with were talking about overtime and how it was going to happen and how how we thought we had the better chance in overtime. And I said, hey, guys, I, my experience in life is this. Well, I, I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. We tied mm-hmm. to take the lead against Ben Roethlisberger in the Super Bowl and left him 
a minute something left in the game, and he drives down and scores a touchdown, and we lose the game. Last year, the Cardinals are in the playoffs. We have we have the Packers on the ropes. They're going down. We're going to beat them in regulation. Aaron Rodgers throws a Hail Mary because we left him time on the clock to throw a Hail Mary, and they tie the game up. Cardinals went on to win it, but they won that. They, they Packers tied yep. it up. Anytime you leave time on a clock for a great quarterback and they can drive down the field and all they have to do is kick a field goal, man, it just makes you nervous. 38 seconds, I don't care. Aaron Rodgers finds a way to get it done, and he did that game for sure. A little overconfident yeah, going into that, that game. It's kind of funny. There's, I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers is the story of that game. I think for Dallas it was Dak Prescott. It was, it was the team. It was Dak Prescott. It was Ezekiel Elliott. It was Des Bryant fitting in. It was Jason Witten. I mean, they have a really good team, right? right. But you forget about the kickers. I mean, both yes. kickers made some really – I mean, Mason Crosby kicked really three field goals in the last minute and a half. Three 50-plus you know? yard field goals in yeah, the last minute and, and a half. Yeah, made all three of them. One right. of them, Jason Garrett, had the great time. I mean, Look, I get it. If I'm a Cowboys fan, I might look at different calls here and there and yada, yada, yada. I don't like looking at the calls at the end of the game because, you you know, you look at calls. You forget about calls at the beginning yeah, of the game. Right, right. And they're important too. But it's hard when you're on the losing end. That was a really good game. I was on a plane. I'm watching it on Southwest Airlines. I watched the first two drives, and I'm like, this is over. So I start watching a movie. I'm not even watching it. I get off my plane. I'm walking through, and they're like, oh, it's tied. I'm like, what in the heck? How did that even <laughs> yeah. happen? I mean, that was a really yeah. good game. Yes, it and was. I don't think necessarily the best team won. I think the hottest, best quarterback won. And not because Dak's bad. It's just Aaron Rodgers is – I would take him right now over any quarterback playing right now. And they broke our rule, too. Typically here on Docs and Jocks, we tri- typically uh, try and predict games based on injuries. And if you look overall, the Packers had more injuries to more significant players, especially Jordy Nelson, than the Cowboys had going into that game. So you would suspect that uh, the Cowboys had their edge on um, just about everything. But uh, once again, you can't rule out great players doing great things at the right time in the right moment and living up to it, and that's what Aaron Rodgers did. So, Well, yeah. it makes me kind of double down on my thought of – if I was the Cowboys, I would not trade Tony Romo. Now, oh, I know he's no. been a one yeah. out, and you might need to let him out. And you might, I mean, but I would not be a nice guy and let Tony out if I had control of him. I'd say, you're going to be a $17 million backup. Because <laughs> if, you, if, if Dak goes down yeah. and we have you, we still have a chance. If Dak goes down and we have somebody else, no chance. And I don't even know who somebody else is. Kelvin, Kel, is it Kelvin Moore? The, the, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the backup. Yeah, who do you want as your backup, Romo or? Kelvin Moore, but the problem and is I, I don't know Tony's if Romo. going to come yeah. and say, hey, I'm, I was I a loyal play. foot soldier. I want to play somewhere. I would say, sorry, dude. We yeah. have you under contract, man. Yeah, I think uh, if he goes anywhere, the big talk right now is the Houston Texans because they have that great defense with Clowney and you get J.J. Watt back next year and so Watt's back next year. So I would uh, think that would be a good location. There's been talk in, in your neck of the woods for our Phoenix listeners. Uh, there's been talk that possibly Arizona Cardinals would be somebody that would look to replace Carson Palmer, who's been aging and not having the year he had you know, two years ago this year. Got Drew Stanton in the wings, though, so it's hard to say. But, and, and, you know, Tony Romo is that Broncos, good. Broncos, too. Yeah, Broncos, another team with a good defense, you know. So definitely a lot of places would like to have Tony Romo for sure. Hey, what I have are the, a question for yeah, you real sure. quick. Can I ask you? Yeah. With that offensive line, how does Dak Prescott like never get hit and Tony Romo gets hurt every year? I don't know. You know, this year was such a crazy play. Tony Romo, here's the difference too. Tony Romo on the play that he got hit from behind where he's sliding down, Dak Prescott's probably two or three yards up ahead of that slides and nobody hits him. You know, so yeah. it's, he's a little less mobile. He's a little less quick than Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's a little bit bigger bodied. Maybe that hit that he takes doesn't give him a compression fracture like it did Tony Romo. So Tony Romo and just – Romo was- he was running, right? He was rolling to his left and kind of coming down into a slide, and the guy caught him from behind and bent him forward and compressed his uh, L1 vertebral body, gave himself a compression fracture. 
Very, very painful. By I the think way. Romo Romo might be in the Peyton Manning category. Remember when Peyton Manning, like late in his career, he'd snap. If anybody got within 10 feet, he would he just gone. fall on the ground. Yeah, fall and everybody the ground. made fun of him. <laughs> yeah, but who cares? But it's just like you might be at that point yeah. of your career where he won a Super Bowl doing that. So not take a hit. Dude. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl doing that. So, yeah, I'd rather my guy fall on the ground than like the Cardinals uh, two or three years ago watching them in the playoffs with no starting quarterback. I'd rather my uh, starting quarterback flop than uh, have to watch that nonsense in the playoffs. So, yeah. Let me ask you this. Is, is the NFL – those were exciting games, but it almost always comes down to the best quarterback. It win. does, yeah, it does. Is that exciting or is that kind of boring? Or I mean, they, they but you know that having said that, to me that seems like that'd be boring, because you know going in, Ben Roethlisberger is better than Alex Smith. Yeah, but it was still an exciting game. Every I mean, now and then game. you have a young guy that comes in and just does great things. Dan Marino, when he first went to the Super Bowl, was not Dan Marino, right? So yeah, every right. now and then you're hoping that a Brock Osweiler figures it out, and makes a great game for the Houston Texans, and he beats whoever he's playing that week. You know, we always hope for those young guys that are going to come up because sometimes they have to be able to turn the switch and be able to say, hey, we're one of the greats. But just didn't happen for the Texans, unfortunately. No, so, and, uh, and the, the Patriots didn't play very well either. I mean, that would have no, been the time to beat them. That was the time to beat them. They, they had their up. chance. Hey, speaking of which, uh, Docs and Jocks, friend of Docs and Jocks, Ferris, you interviewed him. Uh, Zach Orr, Baltimore Ravens linebacker, comes out this week, and he announces his retirement at age 24, one of the up-and-coming linebackers in the league. In fact, he was the leading tackler for the Baltimore Ravens this last year. He was has experiencing multiple stingers, and what that is where you feel a shock-like sensation from your neck down to your arm, usually thought to be part of a stretch in the nerves in your upper arm called your brachial plexus. Those are the nerves up in between your shoulder and your neck. But they can sometimes be coming from the neck. So he had an MRI done on his cervical spine on his neck, and it showed that he had been born with a canal where your spinal cord goes down through it, and it wasn't a complete ring. In other words, he had a congenital or birth defect that didn't have his uh, spinal canal firmly uh, stabilized inside the ring. And so anytime he took a risk, anytime he got hit, of putting pressure on the spinal cord, which can then give you stinger-like symptoms, or worst-case scenario, it can give you a spinal cord injury. So he cannot get cleared for a physical. He said he would be willing to take the risk to continue playing. He was on the verge of signing a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract when this happened. He said he would have been willing to take the risk to play, but no team is going to clear him on after going undergoing a physical exam. And so uh, he is now, Ferris, the 15th player since 2015 to retire at age 25 years or younger. We're seeing a trend in the NFL where guys are getting out younger. We saw it with Chris Borland, a star line, young linebacker for the 49ers. Now Zach Orr with an injury. More and more young guys are saying, hey, it's not worth it. Or the teams say, hey, it's not worth it. You've had too many concussions. You're too high risk for a spinal cord injury. We're going to cut our, cut the uh, you know strings loose right now and let you go. So sad to hear that Zach Orr, a, very, a great interview here on Docs and Josh. You can go back and listen to that on iTunes podcast, Docs and Josh. But sad to hear he has to hang it up at age 24, right on the verge of signing a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract for sure. You know, it's interesting. They said he would he would risk it. Absolutely. I guess, yeah. I guess his logic is, well, I've had it my whole life and yeah. I'm okay. And he had 132 so really tackles last year yeah, yeah, with it. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, but, uh, you know, it. Uh, we were, you know, when Hawk texted that, we were talking back and forth. And I was like, well, I guess you're mad, but you're also, you should be happy that they found it, that you didn't find it like, you know, week three of next season and you're paralyzed. Or right. Something, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the way. And I've had to do this discussion with young high school and college football players. It's a very difficult discussion their whole life and their, even their identity is wrapped up in them being an athlete. We've had those discussions with right. the greats like Darren Woodson, who retired. And it, it, no matter where you are in your career, it's always hard to give up that 
identity you have as an athlete. And suddenly, you know, now a young man who's getting ready to uh, sign a great deal. He's 132 tackles. That's only second on the ever to the Baltimore Ravens behind the great Ray Lewis, who had like 135. So, man, a guy who's playing great and suddenly it's, it's you know, his career is done. But you're right, and we've talked about this in the past as well, where there are certain injuries that the risk-benefit-reward falls too heavily on the risk yeah. and it's not worth it spinal cord not injuries there. traumatic brain injuries injuries that can be give you lifelong pain lifelong disability are not worth it so we'll say uh goodbye to zach or great football player we interviewed both him here on docks and jocks as well as dad terry or who's a great player for the washington redskins so uh, it's sorry to hear but uh, man we wish him the best of luck in the rest of his life hey we'll be right back with more docks and jocks when we come back we'll be interviewing former uh, head or former buffalo bills football coach on the other side of this uh, short interview Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you live from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, uh, each week we bring you a sports medicine radio show. I've been doing the sports medicine uh, team physician thing for about the last 20 years. And my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. Man, we're so happy to have you uh, available on listening to our show. Remember, you can listen to our iTunes podcast by going to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, at any time. I do want to say th- thank you to all our wonderful sponsors, including this segment is brought to you by Lawrence Hall Chevrolet and First Financial Bank. Hey, Ferris, we're honored every week to have on uh, some wonderful guests. This week is uh, man, a really special guest. I'm looking forward to, to speaking to Coach Max Bowman. Hey, Coach Bowman, glad to have you on uh, Docs and Jocks. And uh, for those who haven't heard of Coach Bowman, he was, uh, man, he's, Coach Bowman, your, uh, your biography is so amazing that I'll get started with some of the highlights. But you've coached at Boston College where you recruited Doug Flutie. You then went on to coach at uh, – uh, for the Buffalo Bills, where you were a tight end coach, and you've also uh, you were at a storied program called Greenville College. For those who don't know where Greenville is, it's a little small town in southern Illinois called Greenville, Illinois. And Greenville College, when uh, Coach Bowman first went there, uh, they had not played football in uh, over 100 years, and he started with 79 freshmen that very first year. They, he took them to an 8-1 and record in Division Two, and then went to a national title in uh, his fourth season. So, Coach Bowman, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about how you got started at Greenville College and how you took 79 freshmen and made them 8-1 and their very first year. Well, I think the... Uh the best thing I can tell you is I uh, thought of myself as being on the fast track. I was at UTEP at the time, and uh, our staff uh, got released, but they held me over and uh, basically interviewed me for the head job because of the recruiting that I had done there and things that earned respect. Well, when I didn't get it, I didn't want to stay as somebody else's assistant, so Greenville College had been calling me for the better part of two months. Wow. And I kept telling them, look, if you want to, you know, make a decision, please go ahead and do what you need to do. But I can't do that until I'm sure that that's where I'm supposed to be. And honestly, I'm being very open here. I really wasn't looking to go back to that level where they had never played football when I was already on the Division I level and felt like I belonged there. Well, I took the job, okay? And when I went in, there was uh, nothing but... Uh, if you've seen the movie Dream, A Field of Dreams, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think we could counter it very easily. Uh, there was no facility for football. There was no practice fields, no game field. Oh, my goodness. Uh, they had a soccer field. That was it, which at first everybody thought we were going to make into a game field. But uh, I had a year to come in. 
uh, from July 1st and then start the following season, obviously, in playing. Well, that's when I recruited 79 freshmen and four upperclassmen, which was a total of 83 kids. And uh, I might add that I wasn't sure what I could do because it's a non-scholarship program. Wow. So financial aid was the only thing that was available. And at the time, Doc, uh, financial aid wasn't 100%. Right. So, um, you know, like I said, to get the kind of kids that we got and to have the commitment and dedication, I just felt it was nothing short of of a miracle in some ways in terms of being able to to get them all together uh, that quickly. And then I didn't want to play a JV schedule, so we had built a facility. I talked the college into letting me uh, see what I could do with the bank on a two-year rundown uh, car dealership that had great big windows, and it was right off the edge of our campus. And I talked the bank into basically giving us that building and the surrounding property if I would make it into a fitness center for the whole community. And, uh, you know, you sometimes you go out on a limb with ideas that yeah. you hope, well, they, <laughs> they work, okay? Yeah. And then I went to all the companies in the area and talked to them about getting insurance breaks if they would give this benefit to their employees, uh, you know, by buying memberships for, for their companies. And yeah. that went over really big. So we were off to a good start in getting that done. We built our own field right behind that facility. There was four acres there that used to be cornfields, literally, kids and myself, <laughs> raked that, plowed that, <laughs> seeded that, and that was our practice field. Well, at the same time, I got a scoreboard company to give us a brand-new scoreboard, got a, 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 a bleacher company that was going out of business to give us 5,000-seat bleachers wow. for close to nothing, okay? Yeah. I think it maybe paid the shipping, and then we got a track put in around a new field adjacent to the soccer field. And by uh, September 1st, I think, was when we played our first game that year, everything was done. Wow. And honestly, the Sunday before, the Sunday before we played the following week, they were still putting bleachers together. That's so. amazing. I was, <laughs> Coach, you know, they talk about great recruiters, and they'll talk about that to programs like Ohio State, and they'll talk about that with programs like Nebraska, Oklahoma. But how do you recruit 79 freshmen to Greenville, Illinois, in a program that does not have scholarships and has not even built the football field yet? That has to be the best recruiting job of all time. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate your kindness. Yeah. But you know what? I, I just kept going after people that I had from contacts that I'd made over the years as being a recruiter for the Division One, also junior college level. I'd won uh, three national championships on the junior college wow. level and lost the fourth one in the playoffs. So I had connections with a lot of coaches in different parts of the country that had good athletes that all weren't getting scholarship offers. Right. So wow. I was able to, I think, convince kids that they were going to be part of something new and something great. Yeah. And when I was first interviewed, just the funny part about it, the local newspaper there in Greenville, I think it was called The Advocate, they uh, interviewed me, and I, I guess I made the mistake of making my dream too public. They asked me what <laughs> my goals were. I said, I want to make this the mecca of Division Two football. Did you ever? Well, that wow. got 
that got plastered all over, and <laughs> I'm now seeing it in the faculty lounge yeah. with ha, ha, ha written beside it. Oh, and man. that's when I found out that they had not had a winning program in any male sport there, I believe, for 11 years. Wow. Now, maybe if I'd have known that before I came, I wouldn't have come. But all that's to say, I was in the right place at the right time. I brought 23 kids from Texas, okay, Houston, yeah. El Paso, uh, San, Ant- San Antonio, all places that I had connections with coaches. And at the time in Texas, I mean, if you weren't going to one of the big places, yeah. there were very few other schools right. You're right. that offered money. So, yeah. you know, we worked it out. I always tried to be open and honest with families where they knew what financial aid was or wasn't, where they were concerned. And we ended up with 83 kids that really, really, really uh, just worked hard day in and day out. And we had success early with a varsity schedule of eight and one. Coach, you're very humble. You ended up fast forward a little bit. He went forty nine, fifteen, and one while you were tenure there at uh, Greenville College. So you're very humble when you uh, said that it was just the kids. You did a great job recruiting, and it's really a miracle. Forty nine, fifteen, and one hadn't won a male team in sports. Had not won had a winning pro- uh, program there at Greenville and a program he was just starting. Seventy nine freshmen, amazing. Forty nine, fifteen, and one. Ferris, you have a question. Yeah, Coach, I, I wondered – I'm always amazed by uh, guys that are good at recruiting because it's such a difficult task, and you're not only – you know, you're recruiting against other schools, you're recruiting the parents, the family, the kid, all that. Were you always good at that? Did you learn um, – not tricks, but did you learn to get better at that early on in your career? Because you've had some great recruits over the years, not just with the, with the Greenville School. Well, I, th- I think the thing that helped me early on is that I realized how important it was – I spell win, and I did this way back at my first college job, W-I-N, obviously, what's important now. Hmm. And the bottom line is when you can really find out what's important now to that athlete you're talking to and then to their family and even to the decision makers of the family in terms of whether they're going to come play for you or somebody else, it's amazing how fast you can develop a relationship of trust. And I, you know, my success in, in recruiting, I think, can be summed up in, in one sentence that I've learned to develop over the years, okay? Developing relationships that earn respect, that allow you to influence somebody else's world. Huh, that's great. And I was always very, very honest with kids. Look, I know that Penn State wants you. I know Michigan wants you. I know, and this is when I was at the Division One level, I think I took uh, 27 kids from the Northeast to UTEP. Wow. The likes of Seth Pointer and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, okay, and Tony Chris Tolbert. Jackie and uh, Tony Tolbert. Yeah. Because I convinced them and their families that this is where they were going to have the best opportunity to be successful early. Wow. And, you know, that means a lot to, a, to an athlete, especially when you're recruiting kids that they know. The only way they're going to college is if their athletic ability can help them get there. Right. Well, Coach, so that, go ahead. Coach, I was going to jump forward a little bit and say, uh, let's talk about one of your recruits. While we're talking about recruiting, uh, you're at Boston College. You recruit one of the uh, best quarterbacks ever to play the, the game at the NCAA level, Doug Flutie. Then uh, with the Baltimore Bills, you help recruit him again from the CFL to the Baltimore Baltimore Bills. Tell us how you Buffalo recruited Bills. Buffalo yeah, Bills. Buffalo Bills. Yeah, well, yeah, Buffalo yeah. Bills. Tell us how you recruited uh, Doug Flutie to Boston College and to the Buffalo Bills. Well, you know, recruiting is a is a process with a whole staff. But I watched three years of game film on him. 
Wow. And that was my first year at Boston College. And back then it was the old 16 millimeter, you know, yeah. quick, 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 quick. And I thought, this kid can play. He can play receiver. He can play DB. He's just a phenomenal athlete. And, you know, the rap was even then, he's too small to be a major college quarterback. Yeah. Well, without all the details, uh, we didn't get the head coach to offer him till the week of signing. Oh, wow. And, he, you know, he was interested in Syracuse quite a bit, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this, but they wouldn't, wouldn't even give him an official visit. Now, all the Yankee conference schools up there, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maine, they all wanted him, okay? But... Bottom line is, we finally offered them because the press put a little bit of, the Boston Globe put a little bit of pressure on Boston College and University of Boston that both of you have not had winning records, and, and they hadn't uh, previous years. Uh, you know, why aren't you looking at a kid that's one of the best athletes ever in the city? So that's when we offered them. And, uh, Bottom line is, you know the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? Yeah, one of the greatest and, moves uh, Boston College ever made. Yeah, and uh, he he basically built the Boston College football program because right. at that point in time, it was not well recognized. And all yeah. that's to say to you that when I went with the Buffalo Bills, I was the assistant head coach under Wade Phillips. Right. Well, Tim Kelly had retired the year before. And we had a couple quarterbacks in our mini camp, and I'm thinking I can still throw that well. <laughs> what, what's wrong with the guy across the river that's been there for 11 years? And I think he had been in seven Grey Cups. Yes, yeah, so, great success. You know, the football's the same size, and without all the details, uh, I said it to Wade, and he kind of laughed at me because the stigma really was, and I mean stigma was, he's not big enough to be an NFL quarterback, and. Wade and I ended up going into our general manager's office. It's funny now, but Wade said, uh, tell John what you were talking to me about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've only been here two weeks. You're going to throw me yeah. under the bus. <laughs> but not really. John kind of got a chuckle out of it. Big old ex-retired Marine and general manager. And, well, two, two days later, Flutie's agent was in our office, and you know the rest. Yes, okay? absolutely. But he had to do it the hard way because we had signed Rob Johnson. Right. Who, was a multi-million dollar man at that time from Tampa Bay. Well, he started the first three games for us. We were 0-3. He got knocked out, uh, concussion. Flutie comes in. I believe we were down 13 points. I'm recalling this, but I think I'm right. And we won that game. Well, Rob couldn't go the next week, okay, because of the same protocol. We won that game. So we kept Flutie on the field, and we ended up winning 10 games the first year that Nobody expected much of us at all, okay, when Kelly had retired the year before. Right. So the short of it is the next year, 11-5. and five. So we'd won, you know, 21 games in two years, and I think that was the winningest record in the NFL at the time. Well, Coach, it's remarkable. We've interviewed a lot of great coaches over the years. Gene Stallings, G.A. Moore, the winningest football coach here in the Texas high school football realms. Jimmy Keeling, uh, who coached at Hardin-Simmons and also led San Angelo to a state championship. It seems like the great coaches always have an ability – to uh, take a team no matter where they're at, whatever level they're at, and take them to the next level pretty quickly. Turn a program around who's been a losing program. Take a program that has just gotten started and make them a winner pretty quick. Tell us, uh, and I know you're a humble man, but there's something to that of being able to take a team where they're at and make them better that all the great coaches have that ability to do in a relatively short period of time. Is there is there a secret to it? Is there a key to it? Is it the trust factor between you and your players? Is there something you put your finger on? 
Yeah, I, I, that's a great question, and I don't know that the the answer is uh, something that you monopolize across the world. But in my thinking, it, it it comes down to just what you said. It's relationships, okay, that are built on three things: trust, care, and commitment. But that's trust great. is a two way street. Right. You're expecting kids to trust you because you're the head coach. But bottom line is, I think a lot of coaches miss out on what it means to develop that relationship where trust really is prevalent in the relationship on an individual basis and then eventually on a team basis. Because if you don't have that, you're never going to find out what's important now to kids individually or to groups of kids called positions. And then the second thing is care. You know, you've heard the old adage a hundred times, show kids you care before they care about what you say, okay? Well, there's a, there's a lot of truth in that. They have to perceive you as being somebody that really does care about them as individuals. Exactly. And lastly, but not ever anywhere near unimportant, is commitment. It's got to be commitment to excellence. Right. And they got to see you as an example of that, where your time is concerned, management is concerned, team functions are concerned. Well, Coach, as well as taking care of them. Your relationships and your uh, record definitely prove that it worked everywhere you've been, whether it's the story, Greenville College story, which I would I recommend all of our listeners go and read about all the way up until you coach in the, in the uh, NFL with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, our time here was too short, but I do want to say thank you to coming on the show. We'll have you on again real soon. Talk about what you're doing now with Houston Christians program. Thank you so much. Okay, thank uh, you. All right, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, just catching the show for the very first time, want to find out more about your sports medicine radio show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. You can also follow us on our iTunes podcast at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Every week we are very honored to have on some very special guests. Today uh, I have a good friend on. We've had him on the show before but did not have enough time, didn't even come close to having enough time to talk about his baseball expertise. I'm talking about Coach Mike Evans. Coach Evans has been longtime uh, college and uh, coached at the high school ranks before that. He's been at Bellevue uh, College there in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, Coach Evans is, uh, man, he is just a wealth of knowledge. He has Mike Evans Pressure Baseball which talks about how to play the game under pressure. He's also written multiple books uh, that have been uh, bestsellers, uh, including Power Pitching and Power Hitting, and uh, he's written uh, books on pregame, outfield, infield, talking about the rules of baseball. Coach Evans, great to have you on the show again. It is fun to be back here in person. Yes, in person this time. In studio, we had the luxury and the honor of my son getting to play for him out in Arizona, and you're front driving uh, from Arizona, back, passing back through Texas. Our show is based out of Abilene, Texas, and heading on, on the way back home. So glad you're able to stop in here and see our Docs and Jocks radio studio and see you in person. Well, it's my pleasure, and your son can really play. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's not many. Uh, I always say a switch-hitting catcher. They're kind of a, a rare gem sometimes. So uh, he's got a long ways to go. But every day is just like we all know in baseball. You never get to be where you're perfect at anything, but you're always working to, to try and be perfect. So we're just always trying to do one step at a time, making a better hitter, better pitcher. One of those things we're really working on is a lot of the things that you've written about in your book. And uh, you were just telling us uh, before the uh, show started about – 
kind of the, the rules of baseball that you coached under, and I love the offensive rules on where you get players and how you're trying to think of the game in a situational basis. So tell us about some of those things you told your players and how you played the, how, how they played the game when you were coaching at Bellevue and winning titles. Tell us how you did that. What are those rules? Well, we've just basically started out the thing is that there's 27 outs in a yeah, ball game. Right. And so we are going to – there's only four counts that really matter, the 0-2, 1-2, 2-2, 3-2, because those are the only strikeouts uh, counts. Right. So our pitcher's job is not to let the other team hit the ball, but to strike out as many. If we can strike out one per inning – then we there's only 18 balls being put in play. Right, right. Well, our hitters have no rules on them because we do not want them to strike out. So I don't care if they bunt the ball with two strikes, but they put the ball in play, and we try to be on the play as much as we can. Right. And then it doesn't matter really where they bat in the order. Everybody is wherever they're batting. They have to sell out to our five rules, which is we feel like those are the five main areas that it takes to score runs and maximize your game performance because we want to look like at every game perfecting that uh, we're seeing the number one pitcher in the country. Right. So we play as if everybody's that until maybe we get a 10-run lead. Yeah. We play by the five rules, uh, which is the first rule is get the guy at second base and nobody out. Second rule is get the guy to third base and one out, and now he's on third base and one out. I don't care how you get him home. Uh, you know, a lot of teams that played us always thought I'd call for a lot of bunts, but was my, always my players doing that. That's a remarkable way of doing that, letting your players call it. Like, did you have a shake-off if they would call a bunt? And you thought, well, maybe this isn't the time. Did you ever have a shake-off? Just like I never, ever questioned a pitcher. They uh-huh. have last things when a pitcher says – He's going to throw a pitch. Yeah. I want him sold on it, so right. he can always shake us off. And that's the same thing in this. Well, that's a great. So way to when think about a it. when a batter's soul sells himself and say, "Hey, I'm going to put down a suicide squeeze," that's going to do. And there's a job with the second rule where he has to get the guy to third. He can hit away, he can hit behind the runner, or he can just bunt him over, but his job is to get him down. Right. And that's where I want my four-hole hitter, five-hole hitter all playing that because if, if we, we can win the World Series. Yeah. So the third role is get the guy home, but now there's two outs. Yeah. So if you're at home base, you got zero out, one out, two out rule. First, zero out, one and two out. Same thing at second, same thing at third. Right. So the the fourth rule is that you need to get the second base in two outs. So now you change the whole thing once you have two outs, but you're always playing in a situation whatever base you're on. Yeah. So if you have uh if you have the uh uh if you have a guy uh on third base and two outs, his job is to either steal home plate, force a balk, look go on the ball in the dirt. But you're get always thinking right. that, that. So the third rule was to get the guy home. The fourth rule was have a guy at second base and two outs. And the, four, and the fifth rule is if you are on second base and you must score with two outs, with, with two outs and that if you're a batter – you could bunt the ball, whatever. What if that batter's safe at first base? You better be home. Wow! So, so runner on second, two outs. Batter bunts the ball. 
He's now running to first. Third baseman fields it, throws it to first. That runner from second is not even stopping at third. He's, he's got coming to around. score. He's I love the way score. you play. I love aggressive base running. I love the aggressive mindset. I think it's somehow been lost in today's game somehow. We play a little safer, it seems like, than guys of old. I listened to guys. Uh, I read a book on Ty Cobb who stole home 26 times, straight steals a home. You just don't see that aggressive style of baseball all that often anymore. And I think it's why you won championships. I think you had almost an 800% winning percentage. But coaches who think that way are unique in today's game, in my opinion. Would you agree? Yeah, you know, the the biggest thing I have is uh, we play every game as if we're facing the number one pitcher sure. in the country. Yeah. And if you do that for all your games, when you do see them at the end of the year, you're used to playing that style ball. Now, yeah. when we get up by 10 runs, we'll be – yeah. You know, we'll we'll settle it down. But up until then, otherwise, a four-hole hitter is liable not to bunt yeah. all year cause, because of the fact is that he's going to, you know, he's he's there to hit the ball. But if I got a guy at second base and nobody out, and that's the Winter World Series, yeah, we're going to get that guy over. And it's hard to turn that switch on unless you're playing that way all the time. I think as a baseball player, you're going to play one of two ways. You're either going to play fearful of making a mistake or you can play fearful of not being aggressive enough. A lot of that is dictated by which type of coach you have. Right. If you're a coach that's very safe and you're gone second base and you're trying to go all the way home and you get thrown out and your coach is yelling at you for getting thrown out, that's one, one area. If you have a coach who says, hey, you better be aggressive. You get thrown out at home, I'm gonna, I'm, that's, that's just part of the game. It's how the mindset of the team is, and I think you develop that over time, and so the guys become more and more aggressive. Yes, and see, I learned all mine from Johnny watching Johnny Wooden play. Okay. And that's why my website is Pressure Baseball. Oh, okay. It's EvansPressureBaseball.com because he would, he would talk about put the pressure on the other team, yeah. but take the pressure off. You're you talking about the great UCLA baseball? UCLA basketball, basketball coach. Basketball I mean, yeah, coach, yeah, sure, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when, his book right now. Yeah, yeah, and so in the pyramid of success. Yeah. And that's why he could sit there in complete control because he does all his practice in practice. Yeah, and he already already has his out of bounds play for five seconds left or ten seconds left, so they could be in a situation of your kids have done that every single day. Yeah, they've been in the situation where you have three balls, two strike, two out count, and you're going to throw a change up with the bases loaded and two outs, but you do that every day. Yeah, right. That's right. a game situation, so you're continually putting pressure on the defense offensively. But now you turn that around defensively by pickoffs and different things and not letting yeah. anybody get aggressive, having an aggressive catcher throw behind you that yeah. you can't get a good secondary. So you're turning that whole game around, putting pressure on the other team. So you need to do that same situation and practice every day. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we live by. That was said. I love the fact you brought up John Wood. I'm just reading his book right now. And it's a book that was written where he basically talks about life. And uh, Pete Carroll said the book uh, changed his life. One of the great coaches for USC and now Seattle. But he, uh, his, one of his uh, great sayings, there's so many in that book, it's almost hard to read because everything you're like, oh, I want to remember that, I want to remember that, I want to remember that. But he talks about how in his uh, years, and he had several years where he had perfect seasons, and he talked about every to his team, he said, there is no shame in if you play your best, if you play as hard and aggressive and a team, best teammate you possibly be, there is no shame in losing that game if you've played that style of game. It just happens when his players played that way. They won a lot of games. <laughs> yeah, so great way to think about it. He kind of took the pressure off of them by saying, hey, it's if you're going to lose but you play your best, there's no shame in that. And when you do that, you allow them to play. I feel like when you tell your players these are our rules and you're going to be aggressive in each situation, there's no shame in being thrown out at home 
with two outs when you were on second base, you followed the rules and you were aggressive. I just think that most times you're going to score that run as opposed to being thrown out if you play that way. Well, and that's why my kids uh, over the years, and now the other, my opponents never knew of that, but my kids are really on their own. Yeah. You know, we never we never let wanted a pitcher to throw a pitch that he didn't want to pit, throw. And never did we criticize him if that pitch gets hit. Yeah. And the same thing is if we our rules to get the guy at the second base and, and no outs, if you try to stretch a single into a double or you get on first base and you yeah. try to steal, you're out. They're trying to play within your rules. Right. So you can't criticize them if they're trying to play within your rules. I think it, too, builds trust between you and your players when you have those rules and you know that your players know what your rules are. You know that they're trying to fulfill your rules. It builds a trust relationship. And and, and in Coach Wood's book, going back to Coach Wood, he's very much into character, doing things with integrity, doing things for because you trust each other as teammates, and building that in. And it sounds exactly like the style of Mike Evans' pressure baseball that you're teaching your kids. Well, he's so much to be admired. He just sit there on the yeah. bench and people yeah. say, oh, well, he had so much talent. Well, you can. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people with a lot of talent. Yeah. And You've had a lot of Major League Baseball there, players come there. through your program. So, yeah. Yes, and the thing about it is, is you know, having somebody like Wooden would sit there with his paper in his hand and cross his legs and sit there and do a game, but then he'd get up. His job was never to act to his players like he was worried. Yeah. That he has the confidence. He says, you know, why would I want to walk up and down the stand? I want to sit here and know that I'm confident because yeah. we did all our practice and deal. So almost everything that I do for my pregame infield outfield, it was let's recognize what are the game, the most important game-winning situation. So that's why I wrote my pregame infield outfield where it was the 84 most important situations that happen in, in a game that we want to handle, and we did it in a 10-minute time. Wow. But, you know, like a, a, a pitcher's box deal, longly delayed steal, pop-ups with first and third and one out that you're getting into the wherever that is where they tag from first and third. Well, every, all the situations that you – want to be able to handle offensively and like such as a first and third situation and one out and then a pop-up maybe behind the catcher okay uh in your first and third tag up if that guy catcher catches and throws it all the way through my third guy at third is going to score He's going, yeah wow. well we're going to be in that situation but we got to be able to handle that. Right, right. We're not, we're, <laughs> we can't be in a situation yeah. but you don't never know where that pop-up's going to be yeah but wow. that's what I mean. See, that's where you're being prepared every day, and yeah. not that, so the kids can just react. It seems fundamental, but practicing the way you play sometimes gets lost in, in the forest mm-hmm. for the trees. You truly are practicing the plays that make the difference. And baseball, let's face it, there's many, many games, one, two run games that you don't think about in the first inning when your player tagged up from first going to second on a pop up, and your guy from third scored. You forget that run at the end of the game. You just see the score was three to two, but you realize that you won it in the first inning on a play like that. So you're practicing the way you play. What a great way to do it. And I, I love that because always you never give up on an inning. Even when we have two outs and you got a guy at third base, you're still saying to yourself is, i got to score. Yeah. i got to score some way. So you can steal home like we talked about Ty Cobb, like we talked about other people stealing home play. Jackie Robinson, this, that, yeah, that. great ones. Or just ball, ball bounce it away or yeah. – Force the catcher to throw down there and let it bounce off your back and score. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. it, it's uh, there's so many different ways you can score if you don't give up on the inning. 
Well, I could talk about X's and O's and the way you style, your style of coaching coach forever. One of the amazing things I think we need to touch on is you uh, had a 30-plus year baseball coaching career so far. It's still a lot more to come, but you really never had a pitcher have to undergo Tommy John surgery, which is a remarkable feat in today's game. It's absolutely remarkable. And you, you, it is not by accident. You truly work on trying to keep pitchers healthy throughout the season. You don't wait until there's an injury and try and just rehab them. You try and, you're proactive on the, on the front side and trying to prevent it. Yeah, we just recognize that. In, just to make it really simple, we recognize the backside V, pronation in the backside V. And we throw every day. So much like other people throw less, we throw more. Right. We're always throwing long toss every day. And, you know, and Bob Feller said, uh, said there's never been sorry to interrupt you, coach, but it goes back to a point. Bob Feller said, I never saw an arm get stronger by lack of throwing. <laughs> uh, and I so much believe that. And yeah. but it takes you need to be on a program. That's why I have a long toss. Yeah. Hopefully my new book coming out, it's going to explain the nine week program, which yeah. uh, we have everybody on, not just pitchers. Uh-huh. And by the ninth week, you you can come in any amount of time. You can go out 100 yards and come in every day. Yeah. But it takes like nine weeks to get your arm in shape to get you so you can do that. But kids that only can make themselves stronger, I really believe that's why our pitchers and our th- we've never had a rotator cuff or it's or, amazing. Or, or, yeah, so there's a lot of great things you've done with your winning percentage and your 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 titles you've won. But I think that in my sports medicine world is probably the most amazing thing you've done. Not having a rotator cuff surgery, not having a Tommy John surgery, and all the number of pitchers you've had in 30 plus years of coaching is a remarkable, remarkable feat. Hey, I do want to make sure that our listening audience in our last minute here has an ability to go out and uh, look at your information and buy your books. Uh, tell us how they can get your where they can go to find out the information to get your books, find out how to be a better pitcher, better hitter. Give us that information to. Should they go to your website, MikeEvansPressureBaseball.com? Yeah, just go to EvansPressureBaseball.com. EvansPressureBaseball.com. And and right now they're free. So (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Just let them know. EvansPressureBaseball.com. And you got your new book coming out. When does it come out? We're hoping soon. Okay, good. That's incredible. So we've had Coach Mike Evans here on Docs and Jocks, one of our good friends here. I tell you what, there's a coach with a, a wealth of knowledge about baseball. You can contact him, EvansPressureBaseball.com. He does showcases, tournaments. He's uh, involved in baseball in every different aspect of it. You do not want to miss out on these kind of coaches, these kinds of opportunities. EvansPressureBaseball.com. Coach Evans, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, we'll be right back for more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Great to have you with us today here in Docs and Jocks radio studio. My co-host today, and as always, is Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. Hey, Ferris just had a great interview there with Coach Mike Evans. I tell you what, between the interview we just did with Max, Coach Max Bowman, the uh, football coach with the storied program there at Greenville College, who uh, they're going to write books. It's kind of like the Hoosiers of college football. And then uh, Coach Mike Evans, 30-year baseball coach with, who won with Bellevue, had an 800% winning percentage. I tell you what, that's two great minds we just had on together there. Man, it was a lot of wins. A yeah, lot a lot of, of wins. wins between those two guys, a lot of knowledge. I would like to get those two guys together, Max Bowman and Coach Mike Evans in a room. I don't think uh, – I think you'd have to plan for about a uh, – eight-hour conference because that conversation is going to take a little while between the two of them. A lot of wisdom going on there. And I tell you what, both Coach Bowman and Coach Evans, there were so many things that I was writing down while they were speaking that made so much sense to me, talking about 
what's the most important thing about being a great coach? How do you change a program around? It's about relationships with your players. You've got to have trust both ways. You have to know that each other cares for each other, all those things. Every great coach, by the way, has said that we've ever had on air, whether it's Gene Stallings, whether it's Coach Bowman, whether it's Coach Evans, Jimmy Keeling, Coach Burleson, the list goes on. They have all said to a person that relationships was the biggest thing when they finished their coaching career. The relationships they develop with their coaching staff, with their players, that has been the number one thing they take with them and it's the number one thing they attribute to their success. To a person. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you know, and, and that's when you talk to any coach in the game right now, they'll tell you it's the recruiting at the college level. You know, at the high school level, it's what you're dealt with, although there is some right. recruiting going on now. At the pro level, it's kind of what you're dealt with, too. Your draft picks, you're here, you're there. What you, so they got to do a lot of that. But, man, at the college level, every guy you talk to is like, I'm a much better coach when I have much better athletes. Yeah, exactly. And so that recruiting, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, he talked about how he's so good at recruiting. And I like it because it's not, you know, the guys who are good at it consistently, it's not a gimmick. If it's a gimmick, you can only be so good for so long because word gets out, you yeah. know. But he's talking about building trusting relationships with families and kids and saying, Hey, what do you want right now? What's and important how can now? I position myself to when? be the best to do that right now. You want to play. You don't want to go sit on the bench at Penn state for two years and maybe never play. Right. And maybe lose your scholarship, get cut. You want to come to UTEP and play every day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you what, yeah, Ferris just sent me a book. It's a, the John Wooden book. And it's a book. If you haven't read it, man, it's one of those ones that's a must read. It changed Pete Carroll's uh, perspective on life. He said, and uh, Ferris just sent it to me as a gift, and I just finished reading it. I, I went on a trip to, uh, to Arizona with my son and back, and I always read a book on the plane trip, and so I finished this book. I tell you what, he spent the entire time, you'd think he would talk about X's and O's of a great basketball coach. Very little time on X's and O's, though he was a master of X and O's and made his players run the X's and O's over and over and over and over again. Each one of them talk about that. But his book about coaching and about life was more about life and character, morals, how you thought, your thought process, how your your work ethic, way more about that than any X's and O's in a, in a great basketball coach book, You would, as you would expect from the great John Wooden. But, yeah, it seems like all the great ones, man, talk about relationships, character, moral, thought process, work ethic, all those types of things seem to matter the most when they really talk about players and coaching. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's called a Lifetime of Observations, uh, John Wooden. He's got a ton of books out. But yeah. that, that one, I've been, I haven't finished it yet because I, like, I tend to read it, and I think about like the, the five paragraphs I read. For, it's like, so hard to read fast. Days, yes, you know? yeah. It's like a gay book you go back to. But, yeah, that's the book Pete Carroll said when he was kind of after he got fired the second time, I guess, with the um, Patriots and Jets. He kind of knew what he wanted to do, and he read that book, and it really solidified. You've got to have a philosophy of how you want to operate and what's important to you. And you can't bend for that philosophy. But I also like, though, that one of the things Coach Wood and I just finished reading that part, what he said in there is he said, you got to treat everybody the same, but you can't treat everybody the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. not necessarily the star treatment, but he's like, I, I, I can't treat Bill Walton the same way as I treat his backup because I expect more out of Bill Walton. Yeah. Like, he's got more to give. He actually is better than that guy, so he needs to give me everything. Yeah. He can beat that guy 10 out of 10 times, but that's not good enough because he, he, you know, and so he looks at guys as individuals, but then as a team – he tells that great story about Bill Walton coming back from a break with a beard. And he walked in and, and he said, hey, coach, I know that, you know, we can't have facial hair, but, you know, it's the 70s. I got a beard. I mean, I really feel like you're you're hurting my creativity as an individual and I should get to keep the beard. And Wooden said, well, Bill, do you really feel that strongly about it? Because if you feel that strongly about it, you should keep the beard. Do you really feel that strongly? And Bill thought, hey, I won. He says, yeah, coach, I feel that strongly. I don't think I should have to shave. He said, 
That's great, Bill. Don't shave. We're really going to miss you on the team. <laughs> yeah. Bill Walton went to the, he went right to the locker room and shaved. <laughs> yeah. That was the point. It was like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not stopping you from being an individual, but you're not going to be on my team. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting book. It's I, yeah, I, I'd encourage anybody to get it. But yeah. you, all the great coaches, they may not say it exactly how he says it, Yeah. but you, you can find those threads, right? Like, you can. Like, oh, that's what Wooden was talking about, and he says it a yeah. different way, but same thing we should call this our coaching segment show because we've had two great coaches on and uh, i tell you what it's, it's one of the great uh, joys of uh, this show of doing the show here docs and jocks is that we get to talk to great minds like coach bowman like you know coach evans that we just interviewed so if you ever want to go back and listen to some of those interviews i would highly recommend listening to some of the coaching ones gene stallings who's done it for so long uh, we had raymond barry on who coached with the colts uh, jimmy keeling who, who's in the hall of fame for college and high school here in uh, the great state of texas so anyway go back and listen to some of those uh, coaching interviews spike dykes man the list goes on and on Ferris, i forget how many good interviews we've had with great coaches man that's been been amazing how, how fun is mike leach was even one of our most interesting individuals of all time he coached with coach Hal mummy who coached against uh, coach bowman so Man, it's just been uh, – they always have a different way of looking at things, and, and uh, I think the years of the wisdom they've, they've developed from coaching for that long has really helped them really put into words their philosophy on life, which helps them become great coaches. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's kind of funny reading that book and knowing the impact that had on Pete Carroll's life. I see so much of what Pete Carroll does in that book. Yeah. Like, it probably solidified what he wanted. I know a lot of people don't like Pete Carroll for whatever reason, but a lot of his philosophy comes straight out of that book. Yeah. And helped him kind of put around that. And so, yeah, it's a great book. I, anybody out there coaching right now, especially, but even a family man, a parent, father, yeah, a whatever. Parent, yeah, I felt like as a parent. Even Little League. Yeah. You should pick up the book. It's, it's got some great nuggets in there. As a human being, there's so many great things in there. Talking yeah. about is he talks about religion. He talks about his faith. talks about how he, uh, you know, why he does what he does. And that's really the, the great thing is the why behind the what. But talking about uh, philosophies, uh, I do want to give a big shout-out to one of our favorite guys here on uh, Docs and Jocks, one of our best, greatest athletes uh, we've ever interviewed, Frank Beltre. And if you haven't heard those interviews we've done with him, Frank is a guy who came up, played for Taus- Towson and, uh, in college, a small small college out on the East Coast, coast and he uh, got picked up as a free agent with the uh, San Diego Chargers, Oakland Raiders, played uh, with their practice squads for a period of time. He then went to the CFL where he's played the last two years, had a great year, been in the Grey Cup both years. And his philosophy, he has a shirt that he wears, and he's called Dream, Sacrifice, and Grind. And Frank Beltre's, <laughs> I've had the joy of training with Frank in the off season because he uh, works with Coach Hess, who runs a sports training facility. And uh, so we our, – our, studio the docs and jock studio overlooks that training facility so literally i've watched frank work out for like the last three to four years the man works out trains eats mentally prepares it's the it's the hardest i've ever seen now i haven't been around other super great athletes but i can just tell you in my world frank beltre is by far the hardest single person i've ever watched train at any level and he's also the just happens to be like you said ferris like you expect more out of bill walton Frank Beltre happens yeah. to be a great athlete and expects a lot of himself, and Coach Hess expects a lot out of him. Well, he just got picked up by the New York Jets, man. So, and it's finally, Atta, we've known about it for a couple of weeks. He was nice enough to share it with us. Uh, his agent said, You can't share it on social media only with your family. So he uh, texted it to me and said, Hey, you are my family. You've been my training family for the last three or four years. So he texted me and said, You can't tell anybody yet. So I've been chomping at the bit to be able to tell everybody that Frank Beltre, one of the uh, greatest athletes that I've, I've ever seen personally, uh, just made it with the New York Jets, got picked up after two years in the CFL. So best of wishes to Frank Beltre and his NFL career. But sacrifice, dream, and grind, it, it's exactly what Frank, he he lived those types of words. 
every day because he sacrificed. It's harder than what I've seen sacrifice. He was dreaming. He said, I want to be in the NFL even though I moved here from another country. I went to a small school in, in uh, Maryland. I got picked up and cut at the NFL, but my dream is not done yet. I'm going to keep grinding until I eventually get back, and he just did it with the uh, New York Jets. Those are the kind of stories I love to highlight here on Docs and Jocks. The overcoming story, Frank's overcome a few injuries here and there, and he's overcome those, really overcome the fact that I'm from a small school, but I can still make it mentality. And, man, I, I just love those. They're inspiring, man. I love those types of stories. You know one thing about Frank? When we met him or when I met him, he was with the Raiders, I think, right? Yeah, yeah he was with the Raiders, yeah. So he – so we met him. He was in the NFL. Yeah. Then he then he didn't make the NFL. So right. he he went down to Canada, and then he went back to the NFL. Then down, then back. You could not tell. No. His attitude was the same the Never. entire time. Like exactly. most people would be crestfallen. They'd be yeah. they'd be all oh, this ain't right. It ain't fair. I'm good enough. Why does anybody give me a shot? You couldn't tell when you talked to the guy where he was playing. He was so happy and ready <laughs> to go and just wanted to play ball yep. and work hard. That attitude was like I said. That was awesome. You could not tell. Whether he was up or down, that it day. was almost like infectious when he's in the room talking to you. you. You knew he was going to make it because you bought in because Frank was bought in. He was going to outwork everybody in the CFL and he was going to make it back to the NFL and he was going to live out his dream. And now he gets to do it with the New York Jets. And so, man, kudos to our good friend Frank Beltre. But you're right, man. His his uh, energy and enthusiasm and inspiration it just it was it was infectious around everybody he was Never around. Changed. I trained yeah. harder when I worked with Frank. I'd be training right next to the guy. I mean, I'm training with an NFL guy. He, and I'm like, man, this guy's going at it. He takes it serious. Whatever, wherever he worked out, and you want to be next to him, you just started working harder. It just it was that kind of guy. It's like people said Nolan Ryan was that type of teammate in the Major League Baseball that he, he worked so hard that everybody else wanted to work hard around him, not to let him down. So I felt like Frank Beltre was that way here uh, when we were working out together. Hey, speaking of a guy from uh, you know Ferris and I, we're we're. Uh, inching in towards, our, towards uh, being 50 years old. And one of the guys, Ferris, when we were in high school, that was really one of the uh, biggest pass rushers in the 1980s that we watched play football and played for the New York Jets was Mark Gastineau. Remember he was, uh, what they call oh, yeah. him? They had the New York Sack Exchange. You know, I think he led the uh, NFL in sacks. I think he set, him the, set the record, yeah, for the most sacks. I think he had 22 sacks one year, which stood until uh, Strahan beat it. He was yeah, the all-time leading sack uh, leader for the New York Jets. He just came out this week. He's the latest of former NFL greats to come forward and state that they are having serious brain issues uh, due to what he considers uh, the concussions he sustained while playing football and he states that during practices they would go head to head him and the uh, defensive guys would go head to head multiple times and he said it was due uh, his injuries are due to poor tackling technique he also i'd forgotten this ferris but he became a professional boxer after he finished football career he went on and had uh, over 20 bouts professional boxing bouts he won like 17 out of 20 or something like that. He was a pretty good boxer. As you can imagine, he was mean enough. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, so that could have played a part in it. But he said he had very poor tackling technique. He also said that he would still encourage young players to continue playing. He said he has no regrets playing football, but he would recommend it to coaches. And he gave it as a warning to coaches and players, learn the proper techniques of hitting. Do not lead with your head. And he said he led with his head, and he distributes that to all his injuries. But once again, it's one of those football players that said, had I had to do it over again, I'd play the game again, even though now he's complaining. Basically, he's having a hard time focusing. He's slurring his words, and uh, he attributes to the concussions he sustained. But, yeah, Mark Gastineau was definitely a force to be reckoned with during the mid-'80s. He actually has the Gastineau rule is the reason you can no longer – celebrate after you do a sack you cannot over celebrate or you get penalized because remember mark gaston had the big dance you know he did so uh there's he, he was quite the character in the 1980s yeah he used to over celebrate um <laughs> yeah i it's it, it's kind of it's too bad man i mean you hear this stuff and you feel bad for him yet 
and it, it's kind of funny because here's a guy at the top of his his game, and nobody ever taught him the correct way to tackle. Maybe because it was just so good, they're like, do whatever, you know. Yeah. But um, it's interesting for him to say he has no regrets. That's nice to hear. Yeah, I'm glad that he has that attitude about right. it. And to say kids learn the right way, and it really is the coaches need to learn the right way, and they need to even if a kid's really good and is doing it wrong, but is okay, they need to teach him the right way. I mean, you know, Pete Carroll going back to that again. He's always innovating, and Pete Carroll's a guy who, hey, look at the way they do it in, you know, these guys don't have any pads in rugby, and they never leave with the head. They leave with the shoulder. They absorb the blow, and you look at yeah. how his guys tackle, and his D-backs and linebackers don't have near as many injuries, it doesn't seem, and they tackle a little bit different. They still hit. They still lay the lumber, but the head's way out of the way. It's yeah. off to the side. It's not. Um, so hopefully coaches and parents will learn the right way to tackle, and then parents make sure the coaches are teaching the right way and, and coaches make sure you're spending time on those techniques especially as you're younger you yeah. know to get that instilled correctly because if you teach a kid the right way at his youth it's going to be hard for him to go away from that yeah the nfl has spent a lot of money on going into the youth leagues and trying to do the correct tackling techniques with the nfl in, uh, incentivizing that also uh, you and i Ferris, have uh, talked about uh, and, and shown the tackling ring which i think is a wonderful piece of equipment to learn to tackle right it's a big round donut you know that you basically roll on the ground it's a big giant piece of foam that the player learns how to get their head out of the way like you were talking about with rugby tackling and teaching the Pete Carroll way those uh that's that's available out there we uh Hardin Simmons University uses it and they don't uh instead of doing contact tackling during the week they use the tackling ring to learn how to tackle both a runner coming at you and going away from you getting your head out of the way and learning to do that so there are ways you can learn to tackle without having to induce brain trauma every time you do it and Mark Gastineau's out there saying it he says basically Mark Gastineau this is me saying paraphrasing his words I'm now slurring my speech I can't focus in a conversation because I learned to do it the wrong way if you're going to play football kids learn the right tackling technique so that's not my words that's an all pro all time leading pass rusher in the NFL so hey we'll be right back with more Docs and Jacks we're going to bring you your mental minute with Miss Tracy Mutton on the other side One of the undeniable truths that an athlete must face is that he will experience failure. Whether it's individually or as a team, learning to deal with failure is a must. Mia Hamm, the great soccer player, has said, Failure happens all the time. It happens every day in practice. What makes you better is how you react to it. This quote is exactly right on. Great athletes know that how they react to failure can determine the course of their athletic career. A couple of things for the athlete to remember when experiencing failure are... One, when failure occurs in the moment of the game or performance, the athlete must let it go and not dwell on it at that time. Also extremely important is for the athlete to keep his composure and focus on the task at hand. Two, after the game, the athlete can review the failure with his coach, teammates, or on film, and learn from the mistakes he made. He needs to determine what he did wrong and how to change it in the future. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about dealing with and learning from failures, you can contact the EDGE Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. You're just catching our show for the very first time. Want to find out more about it? You can do that by going to Docs and Jocks, our podcast on iTunes, or you just go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Great to have you with us. Just catching our show for the very first time. My co-host is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. I do want to say thank you to our sponsors for this segment of our show, West Texas Neurosurgeons, Drs. Trammell, Dr. Brown, and Dr. Edelman. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. 
Ferris, we have online with us a wonderful guest. We're always honored to have super guests on the show, as all, as always. And Brian Wilhite is the founder and CEO of Score Sports. And, uh, Brian, but instead of me trying to explain exactly what Score Sports is, I know a pretty good idea of what it is. Tell our listening audience what Score Sports is and how it started. Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. Um, yeah, the, we started the company about five years ago. As uh, I, I actually tapped a, a great uh, on-the-field performer and number four, Brett Favre, to be a business partner of mine. And uh, we launched the company, uh, and we've evolved uh, quite a bit over the last five years. Um, what, I, what I tell people is we built a, the world's really currently the world's only sports-specific uh, commerce and social network. Uh, so we're just sports, just like um, ESPN is just sports in the world of broadcast. Uh, we're just sports when it comes to digital and social media. And what we do is we uh, partner with um, athletes and professional teams and leagues, and we help them. Uh, uh, we create a platform and an environment where that's really dedicated to helping their brand grow and then also uh, have a, a really robust and engaging um, environment between the fan and their sports uh, sports athlete or their sports um, their sports favorite sports team. Uh, we are a global company. We've got users in every country in the world, and literally hundreds of sports partnerships with athletes and teams all over the world. And Brian, we're a sports medicine radio show here on Docs and Jocks, and I understand that you also work with some sports medicine physicians, and so they can stay connected and they help you analyze some of the injuries and things that happen in the sports world. Yeah, so we have um, the folks that uh, I like to can. Um, draw a parallel between uh, LinkedIn and, and, and SCORE. So yeah. LinkedIn is a place where people have their, uh, their professional careers uh, and they interact and network there. It's a purpose-driven platform. We're also a purpose-driven platform. If you're in the business of sports, whether you're an orthopedic uh, surgeon and you really focus on sports-related injuries or you're a commentator like a Steve Mariucci or a Matt Hasselbeck, um, you're going to be, you're going to have a profile score and you're going to use score and interact and engage with your fans. So, we do have a, a, a couple of doctors who are um, uh, focused on sports practice, and what they do is they analyze uh, and give their comments and their, their professional opinions on sports injuries as, as they occur um, exclusively on score. That's awesome. That's a lot of what we do here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, uh, you also uh, have a background in sports. You were uh, LSU, uh, great storied program there in baseball. You were their shortstop. And uh, tell us, does that help you now in the business you're in? You're obviously in the sports world uh, now. Did it help you uh, play in sports with the great LSU Tigers? It does. You know, and it, it, it was so long ago that um, uh, it was before the Internet. So it was the late 80s when Skip Bertman was just getting <laughs> rolling down yeah, there. Before, that's a great before the yeah, before the Ella, before the uh, LSU baseball national championship occurred, I think they won it the year after I left. But um, it does; it helps a lot. You know, I, it, I understand sports. Um, I have a lot of friends who are professional athletes or have been professional athletes, and I've been in technology and media for about eleven years now. So I've sort of got the um, you know an understanding of the sports side of things, and I've got relationships that I've maintained from my LSU baseball career, and that, that helped uh, tremendously when I got started. Uh, and then I'm also an understanding of technology. We're based right here in San Francisco, and the uh, used to be the financial district. Now it's the, a hotbed of technology. And um, I've got the sort of best of all worlds with the background in sports and uh, relationships that go run deep, um, and then having the technology and media background too. Right, Ferris. Hey, Brian. I uh, first off, I just want to say, I mean, I'm not necessarily a Packer or, or a Far fan overall. I like him and everything, but that the Gunslinger T-shirt you guys sell on your website—that's pretty sweet. I might have to buy that one just because that's, a, that's yeah, like the I, coolest T-shirt I've ever seen. Uh huh. 
They, uh, <laughs> but the question I want to ask you is, as you're as you're approaching athletes and trying to get them on board, what's what's the most of the feedback, and what are they looking for? Why would they join up with you guys, and and um, how successful have you been as you approach these different athletes? Yeah, I I think it. Um, I just we just met with a, a, a large agent group here actually about five minutes ago. I just left that meeting to come join you all. And what we, I, I think I go back to the point I made, we're a purpose-driven platform. You know, social media is sometimes fun, sometimes cool. Uh, but Belichick's interview this week about social media was hilarious, I thought. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, I don't do that snap face or face chat stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, was, that, that was priceless. But yeah. it, it, he's got a point. You know, it, it, what's the point? What is, you know, social media has been around about 10, 11, 12 years now. Um, we all use it. Why do we use it? Well, we all have our reasons, but for, if you're an athlete or a celebrity, why do you use it? Well, you hope that it's having an impact on your brand, or you, it's powerful to be able to, to get a message out and have it wrapping around the world quickly. But then what? Well, we've kind of um, all gotten accustomed to social media, except for maybe Belichick. Now we're looking for more. What does it do for me? And so what we're focused on is is the the business of it, the economics of it, the purpose of it. You know, what do fans get out of it? Well, it's pretty cool when you. Uh, make a comment about gunslinger Brett number four and his and his shirt and you bought on score and you say hey Brett, you know this is pretty awesome thanks and he says yeah, you're welcome you know and you get that interaction that's <laughs> right. what, that's what fans that's what fans want and they get if you're an athlete or a professional team it's a powerful tool social media is but what do you do with it how do you use it and what is the benefit and so we're really focused on the economic business benefits of media social media as it relates to sports and we stand out and are unique in that fashion we're the only ones that can say it snap face and face check can't say that they don't obsess over sports obsess over the economics of sports as it relates to social media but we do right Ferris. yeah it, it seems like as you're explaining it and you think you think through how it's going to grow it's just a better uh, you're building a community where um, these famous athletes can interact with the people who help, you know, drive their brand, and these and these folks can build a relationship socially with these athletes that they really can't touch. And I mean, they could tweet at them or whatever, but they're probably not going to get a response and that type of thing. Is that kind of what you're shooting for, building in that community? Absolutely. Yeah, it's very important. Um, it's very important. We we are uh, conscientious and really work hard to make it a um, more more Disney than it is barstool. You know, one of some of the athletes. Um, Look, they can handle if they have a bad performance. They don't, you know, they can handle some criticisms. But we're just really, really focused on making sure that it's an environment that is constructive um, and, and really, you know, in, uh, discouraging and actually enforcing the the negative troll trollism that lives out there in other places. You know, Brian, we're talking to Brian Wilhite. He's the founder and CEO of Score Sports. It always is, amazes me how innovative minds work. I'd like to go back in, in uh, back in time a little bit. When you just come up with the idea, where in your mind did you think, we're going to make a community of athletes, sports teams, sports medicine physicians, and try and bring them all together with social media? How did that all get started, and where did you think, man, there may be something in this where we have something going with the athletes and the teams to make a business? Um, yeah, so I guess uh, literally, I, I just it was just blatantly obvious to me that this needed to be built, and that may you know if you talk to uh, Steve Jobs or these people, anybody who innovates and invents anything, you know, where did you come up with the idea? And yeah. For me, it just I just said, first of all, I can't think of anything more powerful than social media. You can't do this with broadcast. You can't if you have something you want to say. 
you're limited to the distribution. With social media, because of the Internet, it, um, it goes everywhere. Right. And that is, so that is so powerful, the distribution capability of social media. So for me, when I, I, was, I remember when ESPN was born, it was right under the nose of the major networks that had sports content. Yeah. But what, what ESPN knew that the other networks didn't know is that uh, the, the fan has an unquenchable thirst for sports content every day, all day long. So they created a sports-specific broadcast channel. I believed eight years ago, seven years ago, that the world of social media would go the same path. You're going to have general social networks, general platforms, just like you have ABC, NBC, CBS, and they have sports content. But the, the fan, the real sports fan, is going to want specificity. They're going to want a platform and a network where it's just sports. It's not politics. It's not cat videos. It's not religion, but it's just sports. So I believe that the, the, eventually it would evolve in that fashion, and now today – there's a social network if you're into religion. There's a social network if you're into um, cooking. There's a social network. If you're into hot red car collecting, there's a social network. If you're into sports, we are the only sports-specific social network and commerce platform in the world. It just made sense to me. Um, and committing and dedicating our whole being around uh, why we are here and what we've built, dedicating that to the sports fan and to the sports um, uh, athlete and team, the business of sports, I felt like we would win. Obviously, yeah. It worked out good. Ferris? Hey, hey, Brian, you said you guys just got out of a meeting with a big agency group. How, how are the agents, because I'm assuming that's the first line of contact, how are the agents responding to it? Do they, do they get what you're trying to do, and are they on board? They, yes. Yes and yes. They, um, there's a need for it, first of all, because the um, top 1% of the athletes are really the only ones that make off-the-field income. We're able to transcend that, and because of the platform itself, we, we help athletes who are um, perhaps no, you've never heard of an uh, athlete like an Ashlyn Harris, who plays uh, was for a long time the backup goalkeeper for the U.S. Women's National Team with Hope Solo's departure. She's now it, but she's also the uh, uh, soccer player goalie, the goalie for the Orlando Pride team. Well, she's making a significant greater amount of income, off-the-field income with us than she makes as a professional athlete. Wow. So the, the ability for us to help all kinds of athletes and all folks in the business of sports, not just the Brett Favre's of the world, is really what the, the agent groups absolutely love and embrace. And we also have invested heavily in analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence stuff. So we, we provide the, a deeper knowledge base and a predictability of, of, of um, around an athlete when it comes to their media performance or items that they're trying to sell online. So, so let's dive into that for a second. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm not real smart. So sometimes it's hard for me to understand <laughs> that. So what, so you guys can go into an agent and say, Hey, these five clients of yours, here's what we think. Here's a predictive modeling. And this is what we think we can do for them and their brand. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. That, that I would think for an agent, that's gotta be, that's gotta be amazing for them because they probably don't have the ability to do that, to be able to see that and show that to their client kind of makes them the hero there. Yeah, we, we know for a fact, um, and, and we deal with lots of agent groups around the world, but what they really, um, they do not have the tools and the sophistication that they should have. Uh, they have to do a lot of this work manually to have any sort of idea around um, online performance um, uh, from the athletes that they represent. So we're filling a, from that perspective, we're providing great value. Hey, yeah. if, our, if our listening audience wants to become involved with Score Sports, and it's spelled S-Q-O-R, I believe, how do how would they get involved with it, how they become part of your uh, community, and give us kind of walk a, a regular fan like me. I'm not a big techie guy, but kind of walk us through how the process of how you become part of your community. 
pretty simple. Yeah, you can either go to the uh, internet and you can um, um, join there. Go to score.com, S-Q-O-R.com, and you can uh, interact and engage there. You can create a profile just like you would at LinkedIn or Twitter or other platforms that you might use. Uh, so it's very straightforward from that regard. Or you can just download our app, either the iOS um, through the Apple Store or Android. We have all of that. So you can do it um, either through the web or mobile apps. Right. Awesome. Ferris? Hey, Brian, we've been focused on the athletes and what, what it provides for the athletes. We've mentioned a little bit about the fan, like Dr. Dan was asking how do you sign up. Um, what are you hearing from the fans, and how is your membership going as far as fans signing up and using the um, the product? Yeah, we have great we have great growth. And, and um, the fans, we, we get a lot of different kinds of feedback. For the athlete, like an Ashlyn Harris, who's got a very passionate, active fan base, Every time she rolls out a new product, whether it's a hat or a shirt or a sweater or a jacket or something like that, um, the fans the fans love it. They Ashlyn's very much a part of that creation of the product line. She's also very much a part of the distribution. She's engaging with fans. Talk about you know if they comment um, about the particular items, oftentimes Ashlyn will respond and talk back to them. I mean they love it for that reason. The other thing that you'll have is we've we've focused on. Because we're focused on fan engagement and interaction, we've developed some, some tools and some features that make it really easy for an athlete or a team or a high-profile person in sports to quickly recognize and identify who their best fans are. And, and because we make it easy for them, it's easy for them to respond and, and or do, what, do a sort of what we call a fan spotlight. They may um, easily, we've enabled it within our platform. If you're a Brett Favre, for instance, you can select a favorite fan and that favorite fan will get notified that you've been selected as such, and it also that it'll uh, that fan will get featured inside of Brett's uh, uh, posts and in and his oh, distribution wow. of media. Oh, that's so cool! So we do we focus on light on, on little things like that that um, fans love. Man, that's yeah. incredible. Hey, we've been talking to Brian Wilhite, the founder and CEO of Score Sports. We want to find out more how to be part of his sports-oriented uh, community platform. You can go to score.com, S-Q-O-R.com. Hey, Brian, I want to say thank you and best of luck uh, with the uh, Score Sports uh, platform. And, uh, man, we'll have to have you on real soon. We need to get Docs and Jocks part of your, as part of your community there as well. Yeah, you guys should, you guys should join us here. Thank you very All much. All right, we'll do. All right, thank you so much. Hey, we'll be right Brian. back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. <laughs> Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you with us today. Hey, if you're just joining us for the first time, want to find out more about our show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can uh, check us out on social media as well as you can find out how to follow us on iTunes at our Docs and Jocks podcast, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Uh, there on iTunes. Hey, I'm Dr. Dan, and uh, we're bringing you your sports medicine radio show. I've been a longtime sports medicine physician. been doing the show with my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University for a long time. And Ferris, we want to say thank you to all our, all our sponsors for this show, including Lawrence Hall Chevrolet, First Financial Bank, as well as Abilene Tech Medical Diagnostic Imaging and uh, Abilene Sports Medicine and Orthopedics. Couldn't do our show without our wonderful sponsors. Ferris, I thought we would, uh, our last segment here on the show, one, give us a quick update on uh, Grand Canyon University. You're the sports broadcaster, basketball team. How are they doing? Where are they at? And uh, what, we, what can we expect uh, for this finishing run here? Well, you know, the, the Lopes are 2-1 and one in conference play, 12-7 and seven overall. And, um, you know, it, it fits in on Docs and Jocks. It has been a very tough uh, physical yeah. year for the Lopes. They had three of their uh, starters go down with injury. Um, and then they had a couple other guys go down the season, come back. We had a separated shoulder. We had a fifth surgery on a left knee. This was a meniscus scope. 
That guy's back. The separated shoulder's back, but then he dove on the ground during practice and hurt it again. We had a back injury that required surgery. We had a full blown out knee that required surgery out for a year. And this is the one that's amazing. Kenzo Nudo, a kid who uh, came last year redshirted, really good shooter, really good player, local kid. This year was going to be his first year. In the preseason workouts, right before he totally tore, blew out, whatever you want to call his Achilles. Oh, and man. that's normally a six to 12 month deal. Yes, it is. He was back, cleared by the doctor in four months. And the doctor's text to our sports guy said, He's cleared by me to play, but it is, all caps, unheard of for someone to return this quickly, exclamation point. <laughs> so basically, he put it back. He said, hey, he's fine on my end, but back on your end. So Jordy, our sports guy, has been like, listen, I'm going to take it. So so what he's doing is he's looking at range of motion, flexibility, and comparing it to his, his good Achilles on the other side. And he said when he gets back to like about 90%, 95% in comparison with the other uh, side, He's probably going to let him play, and I don't know when that's going to be, but it'll be under five months from the injury. He's out practicing. He's running. He looks fine. He said he feels great. It's kind of amazing, but they did a different protocol, a four-month protocol, and if he comes back and plays and is healthy and does it, it it might kind of be like the Adrian Peterson deal on a much smaller scale of, hey, no reason to wait a year. Basically what they did, and you talk about this all the time. When people get injured, our first thought is I need to rest it for like yes, three months. Right. They had him in a walking boot like within a week. I know. And they were walking him around. They had, And they were changing the motion. He was out of the boot within a month. That's amazing. You know, Terrell Suggs is the Adrian Peterson of Achilles tendon ruptures. He came back, I believe it was in six months, which was the uh, the short end of it. You know, normally six months to a year. But it's unheard of for linemen to come back in six months because they're so heavy. And so yeah. usually the heavier you are, the longer the rehab, the, the, the uh, period of time is extended. So for Terrell Suggs to come back and play in six months was unheard of. So for this guy to be coming back maybe in five months to come back, wow, that's crazy. And basketball is even a more, you know, more explosive type sport, so much more dangerous on an Achilles because you're pushing off of it so much harder and so many more times and so repetitive. So, yeah, for him to come back that fast is unheard of. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. You know, Coach Marley has talked about, you know, being very cautious, obviously, because the kid's just a freshman, you know, a redshirt freshman, so you don't want to – if you do it again, it's going to be 12 months probably, you know, so you want to be very cautious. And also, just the bottom line is, while he's been rehabbing, he hasn't been able to get the the cardio back and get into game shape and that. So he's going to be sucking wind pretty quick. But, right. you know, if, if, if he can come back and play four, five, six minutes a game and he's a good outside shooter – but, uh, yeah, it's been an injury-plague season. Both our coaches, Coach Marley Coach Lee, have said they've never had a season like it where at one point, you know, you get 12, 13 scholarships in NCAA Division One. At one point, they had seven scholarship kids suited up. That oh, was wow. Was hurt. That's amazing, man. So, yeah. yeah, it's all feast or famine, it seems like, with injuries, but it can determine your long-term outcome for sure. Absolutely. Hey, here in our last uh, few minutes here, Ferris, on uh, Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, I thought we would talk about turning our gear towards, uh, turn our attention towards the NFL this week. So I'm going to get your predictions. We're also going to talk about it from an injury standpoint. So we're going to start off, let's talk about the uh, Packers, who, uh, you know, beat the Cowboys. We talked about that in our first segment, sadly. But Packers versus the uh, Falcons. So the Packers right now, obviously Jordy Nelson with the ribs, He's uh, questionable. The tight end, Devontae Adams, who made the great catch against the Cowboys who had the waning seconds, unbeknownst to most people at the time, was he was dealing with an ankle injury at the time when he caught that pass on the sidelines. And uh, he is questionable. And Geronimo Allison uh, is out with the wide receivers with a hamstring injury. So the Packers right now have three questionable uh, pass receivers in Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, and Geronimo uh, Allison. So... Man, you never know. They, they Basically, the Packers are going in with a wide receiver crew that's been injured at best. But the Falcons also got two uh, wide receivers who are hurt right now. Julio Jones uh, sprained 
his toe. He didn't practice this week at all. He's expected to play. And Taylor Gabriel, the wide receiver from Abilene Christian University, we're broadcasting out of uh, the great city of Abilene, he is now practicing uh, but is limited due to a foot sprain. So Julio Jones, uh, Taylor Gabriel, both uh, questionable, probable but questionable for the Falcons, and questionable for the Packers are Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, and Geronimo Allison. So Ferris, with all that, knowing the injury list, who are you going with, the Packers or the Falcons? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's so hard. I just, I just, I look. The Falcons are a better team, top to bottom. Matt but, Ryan's having a great year too, so he offsets. And Ryan's having a great year too. Yeah. But man, there's something about what they're doing there, you know. And, and you just, it's, it's hard to pick against. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. It's hard right to now. pick against Rodgers. But yeah. I'm gonna pick. I'll pick the Falcons. I mean, this would be the ninth straight win or seventh straight win or whatever it is. You know, I mean, I, I'm gonna pick the Falcons. They're at home. I think they've got a better team all around. I think their defense is better. And they're a little bit less injured. I'm picking the Falcons. All right, going Falcons. All right, let's go. Uh, let's turn our attention now to the – oh, by the way, uh, speaking of injuries that are going to get people in trouble, uh, sometimes it's on the field and sometimes it's off the field. Uh, this goes to your uh, gambling uh, – you know, you always think everything's like a conspiracy. The uh, Seahawks <laughs> are now uh, – looks like they're going to get punished possibly by losing a second-round draft pick because – they came out at the end of the year, and Pete Carroll announced that Richard Sherman really didn't do very well in the second half of the year because he was dealing with a MCL injury, a medial collateral <laughs> ligament injury to the inside of the knee, the ligament there, and uh, he's that's why he wasn't as good and effective as he was previously. Well, when the NFL heard that, they said, why wasn't he on the injury report? You have to list your injuries. It's a must. It's every team's required to list their injury report because if you don't, your, uh, the penalty for not listing an injury and keeping off the injury report is that you lose a second-round draft pick. So so Carroll and Richard Sherman and the Seattle Seahawks could be losing a second-round draft pick because they did not list an injury, which <laughs> Ferris says the only reason they list injuries on the injury report anyway is because of Las Vegas gambling, and it's all a big conspiracy. So Ferris, here Absolutely. it is. I just threw you a little softball there. Is it a conspiracy? Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Why do you have to tell another team <laughs> – why do you have to give another team an advantage? There's no reason. Why does the NFL care who's hurt on your team and yeah. whether they're going to play or not? It's for gambling. It's for it's for Vegas setting lines, and now it's for daily fantasy. Is a how many? I mean, that's a multi-billion dollars on every game worldwide. Yeah, that's the only reason they need to know why people are hurt. There you go. I I, I knew you know that would get you fired up. Here we go. Oh, if more. they don't penalize you, if they don't penalize <laughs> you for not doing it, then all the all the gambling casinos and the, and the lines. They they raise bloody heck because they're like how do we how do we truly set a line? Had we known that the line would have been different. It'd be interesting to see how many times the line was correct on Seattle this year and right. how many times it wasn't. Yeah, great. And point. how much money that cost Las Vegas or how much money that earned Las Vegas. Yeah. So anyway, so there you go, man. Injuries make money on and off the field for lots of people other than just the players and coaches, man. They uh, intend to make uh, money for uh, gamblers as well, apparently, because they are very upset about not knowing about Richard Sherman's injury. And, and the NFL is as well and could lose a second-round pick, which is not an inconsequential inc- inc- uh, pick. Now we got now the uh, Patriots versus the Steelers. So if we look at the injury list, so let's just uh, start with the Steelers. little one you doesn't know, if uh, you're in Fantasy League right now, uh, there's been a flu bug all around the locker room in the Steelers. We've lost uh, Chris Boswell has had it, the kicker. Uh, we have B.J. Finney, the uh, center. And uh, Darius Hayward Bay, the wide receiver for the Steelers, all three of them have had the flu this week. They're all three listed as questionable. Uh, Ladarius Green, their tight end, he had a concussion, is questionable. James Harrison, the oldest uh, uh, linebacker in the NFL right now, he's out uh, with a shoulder and triceps, questionable. 
probable, given James Harrison, I think you'd have to absolutely like amputate mm-hmm. his leg yeah, or something no for him to keep keep him off the field. He's just a vicious individual. And uh, Vince Williams, a linebacker for the Steelers, also shoulder injury and has been limited. So the Steelers right now, if the uh, flu bug remains in their locker room, are, are somewhat devastated. Whereas the Patriots, on the other hand, of course we know they lost Gronkowski to the uh, back surgery, but they got Amendola Edelman back last week. They looked great. Amendola had the big third down catch. Now you don't see uh, Bill Belichick high fiving many players, but he was pretty high, pretty excited <laughs> about this. Was high fiving uh, Danny Amendola, and then uh, Martellus Bennett uh, did very well with a, from uh, coming back from a hyperextended knee during the game. Thought he was going to be injured, but really no consequential injuries right now for the Patriots, other than uh, having Gronkowski out for the season. But the Steelers, uh, as of this game, are pretty uh, banged up. So Patriots versus Steelers. Where are you going, Ferris? Uh, Patriots. I know. I just Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You, they will go down in history as the greatest coach quarterback combination. I think it beats Walsh Montana. Uh, it's it's just been amazing to watch the two of them. Whoever the surrounding cast is, I mean, the surrounding yeah. cast has changed so many times. It's just those two guys and everybody else. It's just just lump them in together. You got sometimes you got Randy Moss. Sometimes you have Edelman. Sometimes you've got uh, who was the guy that got put in jail for uh, killing somebody? The Patriots wide receiver. What's his name? Oh yeah, Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> you never know. Well, we forget about him. He was the, he was as good or better than Gronkowski. I know he's a stud. So yeah, Randy Moss. Yeah, all those guys you mentioned. That's probably why I agree with you. Uh, you look back. San Francisco had a really good defense. It doesn't get a ton of credit. They had a great running back. I mean, Roger Craig was there, and Rathman, the fullback, they were there together for that entire run. You know. Yeah. Um, and Brady. I don't even know. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt is his running back who was kicked to the curb by other teams. Yeah. I mean, now they know, got yeah, Michael I I, Michael they Floyd. Now you got Michael yeah. Floyd from the Arizona Cardinals. He's you know he's going to be a superstar now after the Cardinals cut him for his uh, third DUI or whatever it was. But yeah, it's going to they're going to turn him into a great one. Hey, uh, speaking of which, uh, speaking of great ones, Baseball Hall of Fame gets announced this week. I thought it really, I cannot find a sports medicine angle, but sometimes I don't always talk about <laughs> sports injuries here because it is our show fairs. So, Baseball Hall of Fame, man, you got Jeff Bagwell, Pudge Rodriguez, and uh, Tim Raines. By the way, it goes Bags, Pudge, Rock. It's why I say I won a great nickname because all the great Hall of Famers have great nicknames, man. So, they, <laughs> they just missed uh, Trevor, uh, Trevor Hoffman, who I'm, I can't believe he actually missed the Hall of Fame. He's the all-time win- uh, leader in saves uh, other than uh, him and Rivera, until Rivera. So I'm not sure what happened there, why Trevor Hoffman's off the list, but just barely missed it. Uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens uh, went up in totals. They went both to 53.8 and 54, respectively. And then Kurt Schilling is dropping. So, you know, it's it's interesting how you see these guys moving in uh, numbers. But I think Jeff Bagwell, Pudge Rodriguez, and Tim Raines, thank goodness Tim Raines, people don't remember him as well because he played for the Montreal Expos in an era in the 80s when, uh, you know, you just – you know, he wasn't the New York Yankees. It was the Los Angeles Dodgers. So people forget about him. But he really was the Ricky Henderson of the National League, an amazing player, won a silver slugger, led the National League in hitting, had uh, all-stars games uh, multiple times. Pudge, uh, arguably the greatest defensive catcher, maybe the greatest offensive catcher. Johnny Bench would be right there with him. But there's mm-hmm. no doubt he's a first first battle Hall of Famer. Jeff Bagwell, he's part of that great uh, Houston trio with Biggio, Berkman, Bagwell. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I think he probably he, – he's on the bubble for me, but I think he's a guy that's there. He had nearly – did he have 400 home runs? I think he had 400. Yeah, like 449 or something like that. Yeah, so Jeff Bagwell deserves it as and well, he, so he congratulations. Close to 300. And a likable guy, a great guy. He seemed like a great on all the he's, way around. I agree with you. He's the guy to me that when I when I think about – you know me, I always do a litmus test of if you say his name, yeah. what's my first thought? And my first thought with him is not. My first thought with Biggio is not either, and I know we disagree on that one. 
But when I hear Tim Rock Reigns, my first thought is, is eh, I think so. And then when I look at the numbers, I go, yeah, I, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. When I hear Pudge, I think, yeah, he's no a Hall of Famer. Right. But, you know, the guys, when I hear Trevor Hoffman, no doubter. And when I hear Vladimir Guerrero, Oh, no I doubter, love Vladimir Guerrero. No yeah, doubter. 16 yeah. years. He played like seven years less and had 449 homers, hit 297, or hit, uh, no, that's Bagwell. 449 homers, 297. He had 15 years. Um, Vlad had 16 years, hit 449, hit 318, and uh, had 1,500 RBI. I just, uh, and he was the most dangerous hitter in the league for a while. He was just as likely to swing at a ball that bounced once as he was on the next pitch to swing at a pitch over his head. He was that kind of guy, a free swinger who you love to watch because he was a lot of fun to play and watch him play. So it just seemed like he had a lot of fun. I loved watching Vladimir Guerrero. Well, another guy who kind of skipped around on teams a little bit too. The other thing that's often overlooked on Vladimir Guerrero, probably the greatest right-fielding throwing arm of all time. The yeah. guy had a cannon from right field. So another thing often that gets overlooked in these Hall of Fame deals, we talk about their offensive statistics. People didn't run on Vladimir Guerrero. You're going first to third on a base hit. You're not doing that on Vladimir Guerrero. The interesting thing, the three guys that made it, never anything proven. I'm going to couch with that. Yeah. But Rodriguez and Bagwell, always, all, everybody always had suspicions about performance-enhancing drug use for both those guys. Mm-hmm. And Tim Raines lost a significant amount of his career, you know, a few cocaine, years to cocaine was, addiction. Yeah. You know, so drugs, a big part of all three of those guys. Like I said, n- nothing ever proven with, with Pudge or Bagwell. Bagwell stayed about the same size even after he stayed a big guy. Pudge dropped a lot of weight from one year to the next at one point that yeah. everybody think it. But I think that means that Barry Bonds is going to get in. I, I hope Barry Bonds gets in. I hope Roger Clemens doesn't. That's just my personal of those two. Cause I think Clemens got a lot better once he started using and that extended his career. I think he was done. If he didn't use, I think Bonds would have been a hall of famer, whether he used or not. So speaking of drugs, how I'm looking speaking of drugs, we're going to go down to this the last uh, minute here in docs and jocks, Johnny Manziel sober and wanting to make a comeback. Just to let you know, he's off the, off the juice. He's off the uh, alcohol. He's coming back, baby. So anyway, wish, I wish him the best, man. I wish him the best. He was a great talent yeah. in, uh, for Texas A&M, no doubt about it. Hey, from all of us here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, we want to say thank you to all the wonderful listeners. Couldn't do our show here without you, so thank you so much. Hey, remember, you can listen to our podcast, or maybe you missed one of our interviews we did with, like, Max Bowman or Coach uh, Mike Evans or the uh, founder uh, of uh, uh, Score Sports this week. You can go back and listen to any of those interviews by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Listen to us anytime or follow Follow us on social media. Find out how to do that by going to docsandjocks.com. Hey, for myself, Dr. Dan, sports medicine physician, sports longtime sports broadcaster, Ferris Potter. We'll be we'll see you next week here on Docs and Jocks.